Can you remember the TV series Jimmy's Farm? It documented the trials and tribulations of first-time farmer Jimmy Doherty, who rented some land and transformed into what is now known as Jimmy's Farm and Wildlife Park. Join me as I interview one of my heroes who's become a household name promoting rare breed farm animals and the food and farming industry to the big wide world. Hello, welcome to the Countryside Kitchen Meats, a food and farming podcast. I'm Millie Fife, your host. I'm a mum of two, farmer's wife, food producer and passionate about flying the flag for British food and farming. Today we'll be chatting to TV presenter and farmer Jimmy Doherty. Then I've got a few time-saving hacks when it comes to mealtime preparation and some recipes to share, meaning you can juggle family life with the children and cook a tasty, nutritious meal too. Okay, let me introduce you to my guest. Jimmy first came to national TV attention via a fly-on-the-wall TV series, Jimmy's Farm. Airing on BBC as far back as 2004, the series followed farm life and the events unfolding on the farm. Jimmy's Farm is based just outside Ipswich and was a place lost in time when he arrived with his wife, Michaela. They took on an old dairy farm that had stood empty for nearly 50 years, which was totally derelict and overgrown. This was the beginning of an exciting adventure. Through this journey, the Essex Pick Company was born with a vision of using traditional free-range meat production practices rearing rare British breeds. A childhood friend of Jamie Oliver's, Jimmy also co-presents on programmes including Jamie and Jimmy's Friday Night Feast and the Channel 4 programme Food Unwrapped. Jimmy won't remember this, but we have actually met before. I was invited to a reception at St. James's Palace for the launch of an event called Farming in the Park, which was supported by the late Duke of Edinburgh. There I was in the most palatial room, networking with the great and the good, and this most dashing man walked into the room, and I can't remember what we chatted about, um, but the only thing I remember (laughs) was his aftershave smell amazing. (laughs) Um, and the only other thing I remember from that event was being given a massive presentation box of beer and having to go back on the train late at night <laughs> trying to haul it across London on the tube. So there we are. Anyway, I hope I've introduced Jimmy, um, given all those facts and my little anecdote. But without further ado, let's bring on Jimmy. Hello, how are you? What a great introduction that was. <laughs> did you get back with all the beer intact or did you drink some on the way back? <laughs> No, I, I got it back because my husband was like, oh, what have you got here? <laughs> I, I do to... remember that event. I do remember that event. It was it was very, very hot, I think. Yeah, it was definitely a summer occasion and it was like a really palatial yeah. grand room. It's like red wall- line wallpaper and, you know, we got to meet the Duke of Edinburgh and yeah. it was just the, like everybody was there. And um, I mean, yeah, it was great. Uh, can you remember um, what, what hat you were wearing when you was at the RBST or something? I think uh, it might have been something to do with the Duke of Edinburgh Awards, actually, but I wouldn't have been... It might be in the Rare Breeds Farm Trust, but uh, yeah, I remember just chatting to everyone. Uh, it was uh, it was great, and it's always one of those nice events where you know you have farming and, and and food production in such a prestigious place, and people can turn up and celebrate and chat, 
and it creates a buzz and excitement the whole project of farming in the park and all that kind of stuff and and I go to lots of those things, uh, you know, uh, every now and then. But it's uh, mm. it's always great. It's always yeah. great. I always love it. I always yeah. love when there's that excitement and buzz. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And I mean, I've obviously given you a little bit of a kind of introduction to to, to the listeners and everything. You're very well known. You know, you're on our screens a lot of the time. But I mean, how how did you get in, into farming? Were you born into farming, or, or you no, know, did you not, get your not taste at all. for it? I, I lived in uh, in the countryside. My mum and dad moved out of London when I was very young, probably two, and we moved to uh, a little cottage. It was, a, I think, it used to be a cricket pavilion that my dad started doing up. It was like one of those sort of like cricket pavilions got turned into sort of a, a, a summer chalet type thing, and uh, and my dad sort of added bits to it and all the rest of it. And a little thatched sort of place, and uh, in the village of Clavering, and we had about one and a half acres of, of pasture there that my mm. brother used to play football on and, and I used to be obsessed as a kid going through all the tall grass and catching crickets and <laughs> things like that and I always had a love of the natural world uh, and then my one of my best mates dads Colin Colin Day he lived in uh, just up the road not far from Stansted uh, and he used to keep Gloucester cattle Dexter cattle and Ryland sheep and I remember watching my first lamb being born it was named it, they called it buttons <laughs> and we got off the school bus and uh we went and had something to eat in the house and, and went up to see this little lamb being born and i was like wow this is incredible and uh but then my love for nature took me into academia i, I studied uh, zoology and, and went on to read for phd in entomology obsessed with insects mm. but always had a love of keeping chickens and i got a job in a wildlife park that had an arable farm attached to it so they had they also had island cattle and goats and things like that. And so as well as the exotic stuff, I was always obsessed with the with the domestic livestock, mm. particularly our traditional rare breeds. And I used to I used to read the Ark magazine when I used to go mm. around my my mate's house. I used to read his dad's copies of the Ark. And so I remember one day just thinking, oh, you know, academia is just turning the colour of the vibrance of nature into into numbers and testing mm. statistics. I used to identify flies and count endless different flies and, and test different theories about plant species diversity against uh, invertebrate abundance. Mm. And you just end up with spreadsheets and numbers. Mm. Uh, and I wanted to get back to that, you know, a working environment that took me amongst nature. And I'd read all the books by John Seymour. Farming was going through a crisis after foot and mouth and mm. loads of farmers started diversifying. And uh, markets like Borough Market were just starting. Mm. And I thought, well, actually, there's an inroad here. I don't have to be born into farming. I can rent a, a, a rough bit of land, keep mm. some pigs. Mm. And there's a marketplace. You know, I haven't got to build up a tremendous herd. I can make something and sell it the following week. Yeah. And so that was the plan. And I went up to Cumbria and I visited a couple of farms up there that were doing that. And they were going to Borough Market. Uh, and then I searched for a, a cheap farm to rent. And yeah. uh, I found then it was 100 acres. And... It was totally derelict, and I think the yearly rent was, I think it was just shy of £9,000 a year mm. for all that land and some old buildings. Mm. And uh, the wonderful thing of fridge panels is that you can create a clean room in any building. <laughs> so I put, I put, laid some concrete down and uh, put up some fridge panels, yeah. tiled the floor and made a clean room. Yeah. Um, and then I, with electric fencing and blue water pipe, uh, instant uh, pig pens everywhere, utilised yeah. the old buildings for, for pig pens, went out and bought some fattening pigs. Literally, I bought four pigs yeah. that were ready to go. 
some young wieners and then uh, some sows. Yeah. started the process. But within within the, the month, I'd killed some of those fatteners and I was going to little trial markets mm. and I was already making sausages. So before I had a tractor, I bought secondhand butcher equipment. Got passed by the EHO um, and uh, had a beaten up old Mercedes fridge fan uh, and went to farmers markets. And yeah. I remember getting into Henrietta Green Food Lovers Food Lovers Fair at Covent Garden. It was a real mm. prestigious market. Mm. And I had to send my sausages in to be tested and they were, are they good enough? I mean, it's yeah. a load of old cobblers when I looked yeah. back at it and it really <laughs> made me sweat and I was terrified. But I got in and that was great. And we turned up and I didn't have I didn't have all the paraphernalia that everyone else had yeah. i had a just a, a real old chiller that i bought for 200 quid mm. that was used to turn it on and, and it used to make a terrible noise <laughs> and i had a pop-up little marquee thing that i got mm. from b and q yeah and I thought, how do i make it look so good like all the others and we had mm. lovely blackboards that we'd draw up with chalk and stuff yeah. like this Anyway, I was I was just thinking about what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do. And I was filling up the truck at Asda petrol station. And I was looking at the car park and I was just, I was just looking at oh, all the hedges are all beautiful rosemary. Mm. I thought, that looks lovely. And I thought, right, I know what to do. So I went back to the farm and I got my high vis and my yeah. shears and I, I parked up the, the truck <laughs> and I cut their hedges with a high vis on and I just whistled like, <laughs> nobody questioned me. Yeah. And what was funny, people were coming out of Asda buying you know, rosemary in little plastic boxes yeah. to, to cook and it's all growing next day up. <laughs> so I chopped it all down, piled it in the truck and just left and just, the hedges look beautiful afterwards. Yeah. But I just, I stole all their rosemary <laughs> and then I dressed my the sandwich. Well, exactly. And I went to Covent Garden and I had rosemary and I collected chestnuts off the big old chestnut tree outside mm. the old farmhouse on the farm. I had bags of those. And for every pack of sausage, you got a little bag of chestnuts and a sprig of rosemary. Mm. And it, it looked amazing. It had hid all the cracks of all the, mm. all the chiller. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, that's how we sort of started. So the money I got from there, I, I took immediately back to the farm. And then I could buy more pigs. Mm. Um, and then we used to cure the bacon, make the sausages, feed the pigs. Uh, and then we realized going to six markets a week was a lot of work, yeah. but it meant we got immediate cash coming in. Mm. We didn't have to wait the end of the year and all that mm. kind of stuff. Uh, or, you know, so that, that really helped us, uh, but it was hand to mouth. and It was living in a tent for the first two weeks, then a caravan after that. Yeah. lived a caravan for two years. And, and eventually people wanted to come to the, the farm. I thought well, we've got a butchery running already. We've mm. got a, a very basic butchery running let's put some counters in here and, and people can come to us mm. and slowly, slowly they did. Yeah. And then people wanted to come and see the pigs. Yeah. And of course you can't just let them wander around the pig unit. Um, so we opened a little uh, field at the front with a couple of sows with litters in and then yeah. some goats and that turned into the farm park. And then 20 years down the road, that's now the wildlife park. Um, yeah. So yeah, little footsteps really. Little yeah, footsteps. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It was yeah. all driven. It was all driven by the, the passion of being amongst the great outdoors and doing something that you're happy doing every mm. day, waking up, although it's incredible hard work. Yeah. yeah there's nothing beats that, you know, you see a, a litter of saddlebacks or you see uh, the, the large black, you know, a litter go all the way through and then turn into bacon at the end. You yeah. Go, oh, that's, look at the, and you see the whole side of it. Or people oh, say, definitely. Oh, best bacon I've eaten or whatever. You know, that that's, it's been, a, you know, that, that's always a massive joy. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I can co- totally relate because I've got Oxford Sandy and Black Pigs, and they oh, I yeah. mean, yeah, and the kids absolutely love them, and it's brilliant. So you know, at the moment we're sort of collecting all the fallen apples, and then they go in and give them to the pigs, and it's kind of like that yeah. that circular thing. And then they absolutely love sausages, and um, you know, we sell our pork to like the local pub or to to local people, and um, it is just really rewarding, and it's kind of like that that kind of direct to consumer kind of relationship that I yeah. really get a kick out of as well it's lovely and and consumers the general public love that the Mm. idea of you know and i think that's one really important thing about we when we think about food all we think about is the price Mm. uh, and and that's such a shame never the value and the value isn't just in the price itself the value is in the the sustenance it gives you but also the story it tells and when you can Mm. sit around you know, on a, on a, on a, for Sunday lunch with your family and, and talk about the chicken that you bought and you've just mm. met the farmer, you know where it's from or the, the beef that you're eating and what breed mm. it's from. And, and, and that's the, that's the story that it's lovely and that adds so much mm. more to mm. it. And that's what mm. our food culture is about mm. rather than just how much was that? Oh, I'm buying that again. That's, I'd get a pound cheaper then. You think, well, actually, <clears throat> really, it doesn't really matter. If you, mm. if you look at what you spend on entertainment on your phone a year mm. and on your Skybox and on your Amazon Prime and da-da-da-da-da, because mm. um, I constantly get, my kid's got the phone, I get a little message coming through that your subscription's <laughs> been renewed for three ninety nine this month. I'm like, what? <laughs> but, you know, and, and when we look at food, that we have to you know, deal with three times a day and it, it, it powers our health and our environment we don't really put the same sort of value to it. No, no, we don't. Because I think, it. you know, in years gone by, we spent a lot more of our money on food. And now it's only like 8% or, you know, something yeah, very low, so, isn't it? So mm. 30, 40 years ago, it would have been 25%. Mm. Uh, but now it's less than 9%. And I think, mm. you know, we, we're racing to, you know, we must produce more food and lots of new technology. And I do a lot of shows based on that mm. but if you think about it there's more obese people in the world than there are malnourished mm. uh there's just under eight billion of us but we produce enough food to feed 10 billion and mm. we waste a third of it mm. so mm. it's 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 crazy in that yeah. respect yeah there's a lot there's a lot we could do to change isn't there whether or not it's mindset yeah. or you know lobbying government there's a lot there's lots of things i think we can do and i think i think we both bang the similar drum don't we so yeah. uh, <laughs> so you alluded to you've got pigs you've got saddleback pigs um whatever animals you've got you've obviously got some wild well, we've got, animals yeah yeah i mean we've got uh, in terms of the farming side of things we we have cattle and we have we've got dexters we've got highlands we have got british whites and we have also got Galloways, but we've got mm-hmm. Rigget Galloways, which are a beautiful uh, variant of the Galloway. And that has mm-hmm. a, a white stripe running down the spine, a bit like, like the Gloucester cattle. Okay. Um, and then we have uh, Saddlebacks, which we started. We started with the, the Essex variant of the Saddleback because I think it was 1972, the, the Wessex Saddleback and the Essex pig were amalgamated to form the British Saddleback. Mm-hmm. So Saddlebacks always been a mainstay. We've got large blacks. We've got some Tamworths. Oxford Sandian Blacks, yep. Gloucestershire Old Spots, or Middle Whites as well. Mm-hmm. And then we've got a splattering of, of sheep. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I wouldn't say we're sheep farmers in any, any way, but mm. we have um, Norfolk Horns and we have various different breeds of primitive sheep. Mm-hmm. And then we also do around 10,000 uh, free-range turkeys for Milk and Moor and Costco's. Um, okay. But everything else in terms of livestock goes through the shop and restaurant. Yeah. So having the restaurant on site was very important because 
although you employ more staff, it allows you to be in total in total tr- control of your produce. Yeah. So, you know, if we're dealing with various different breeds of cattle, for example, we've got Dexter's, uh, one of the smallest indigenous yeah. breeds of cattle, and then against the British whites, there'll be inconsistency there. If I was supplying a, a supermarket, they go, well, hang on, this carcass size isn't right, your fat, your fat probe's not good enough, and yeah. I'd be penalised. But actually, I can turn that to my advantage and go, yeah. in the restaurant this week, we've got beautiful Dexter steaks, fine-grained yes. meat, or we say the British white here, look at the lovely marbled fat, the yellowing fat on there, come from the grass, grass-fed grass animal. Yeah, low food so miles. Use, yeah, yeah and, we, and, mm. and that really suits us. Mm. Um, but then you can't put it all in one basket, hence why the turkey is always a good income for us in terms of selling them under our own brand to to um those two supermarkets but it's um it's it's a it's a very interesting one we try to um control as much as we can um but you can't you can't necessarily do it all no 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 absolutely but but other animals we have so as well as the that side of things we then have the wildlife park Mm. Which is it goes back to then my studies when I was mm-hmm. a student of zoology and I, I used to work at Mulhall Wildlife Park and I'm massively interested in conservation and increasing biodiversity and the role that plays in capturing carbon and farming is often blamed as mm. being the destruction of the, the globe and all mm. the rest of it. Well, mm. industry transport far outweighs any of that, mm. um, but. In my mind, farms are the future in terms of dealing with the climate crisis. Mm. And so what we try to aim is to show that farms and conservation go hand in hand. Yeah. Not saying that every farm is going to have a wildlife park. That, <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous. But but we try to tell people about that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. it's important. So when you look at the countryside out there, we talk about declining um, pollinators. Well, it's, it's you know, farms could change all that. Farms mm. could change all that, but they need mm. to be incentivized to do that. Yeah. So animal-wise, anyway, so we have everything from camels, tapir, um, we have crocodiles, um, pythons, boa constrictors, um, kookaburras, mm. tropical butterflies. Yeah. We, we rescue a lot of animals. Um, okay. So we rescued a lot of uh, Barbary macaques, right. these monkeys that were either laboratory monkeys or uh, beach monkeys, mm-hmm. uh, zebra, um, eland antelope. Yeah. Uh, and then we have some interesting other stuff. So we have zebu cattle and um, uh, Cameroon sheep. Somali sheep, so yeah. people can see other breeds from yeah, around the world yeah, as well. But, yeah. Would you eat those all, or all not? Uh, no. Yeah, we do as yeah. well, yeah. yeah. And it's interesting with the, the Somali, when you get any sort of African breeds of sheep, they tend to have all their fat on their back end, just above mm. their tail. And it's a bit like the camel would store its uh, food reserves in its hump. They do it on its on its, on its back end. Mm. And in those countries, that's really prized, that fat, is, because you know, in equatorial countries and fat is hard to come by. So yeah. actually, they're really, really prized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Oh, I'm going to have to come and bring the children because I think they're going to absolutely love it because although they are feral farm children, they are, they're, I mean, they're only five and four, but they're really getting into nature and collecting yeah. moth, moths in the garden is the latest see, thing. That, that's really important, mm. that kids' mm. connection with nature. And mm. in today's society, we're also worried about it. So we've got a great guy called Dolly who does fishing on the pond. Mm-hmm. And people can just turn up and he'll give you a rod and you, you catch a roach mm. or, or, you know. Nice. And, people are like oh my god wow that's incredible and mm-hmm. watching kids catch their first fish because a lot of parents are like well where do i go i can't let them on their own and yeah. uh, do i need a license i don't want to buy all the kit yeah or yeah. we do den building so kids go into the woods and they just, just grab all these logs and build dens and it's yeah. and letting kids be kids yeah, yeah letting kids interact with the natural world yeah and, you know i'm not anti-technology 
because it's amazing what you can do with technology, <laughs> but sometimes it's nice to put a screen down and go out and pick a log up or turn a log over and look at all the creepy crawlies. Yeah, absolutely. And it blows their mind. And then they sort of go around talking to their their friends and what have you. And uh, yeah, I, we found um, a tiger moth the other day. It was it was actually dead on the lawn, but they put it in a jar and they took it to school because of the different colours on it. And they were like, yeah. wow. And everyone was just fascinated with it. And they were talking about it all day. And I was like, Brilliant. We need to do more of that with them. And that's exactly yeah. what we did as kids. So, you know, it's Completely. Pass, passing it on. And, passing it on. and having pets and stuff is really mm. important. So our kids will keep tropical fish and Molly's got chickens and she just mm. get up every morning and let them out and feed them and put them away and, yeah. and teach them responsibility yeah. as well as, um, you know, an interest in, in nature. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And would you say that's the best thing about what you do or what, what would be the best thing about what you do? It's difficult to say. I think, the yeah. best, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I love watching kids get joy from mm. the animals that we have. And for example, like the veg patch that we have and the, and the vegetable gardens and the orchards at the farm is that you see kids running around and they pull apples off the trees or they're, they're mm. picking courgettes. And I'm like, brilliant. I said, mm. Good, you if you pick it, you can eat it, and I'll make them eat it or bite mm. into a raw courgette, and they go, oh, wow, amazing. Mm. And the idea of, you know, keep off the grass, don't touch it, don't touch it, it's like, well, it's all there for that reason. I really enjoy that side of stuff. I love planning projects. That's what I like doing. I don't necessarily feed the pigs every day anymore. We've got 45 full-time staff. Mm. Um, but it's – I love planning and saying what we're going to do for the future, how are we going to – how we what can we do as a business that's going to uh, do good – in the long term, mm. uh, not only for the image of farming, but also in terms of conservation and, and the environment. But you're also then empl- a good local employer as well, if you're employing that many staff. Well, yeah, and I, you, I didn't realise that until, uh, the, you know, we have our local MP come down. I wonder why he'd come down. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, and so in high season, it goes up to 120, I yeah. think. So it's uh, and that's a whole different ball game. Animals mm. are so much easier than people. Mm. I've got to say. Mm. Yeah, well, they don't need to they don't go on holiday or get sick pay and all the you know maternity, yeah, and lots, you know, all of that. lots of other stuff. <laughs> but um, but yeah, but it is uh, it, yeah. There's a lot of people, and and I'm 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 really thankful for the people that we have to be mm. truthful because. Although it says Jimmy's Farm, it wouldn't be what it is without a really great team. At the helm there is my wife, Michaela, and and you know we both work together, and it's important to have totally different roles within the mm-hmm. business. But you know it's easy to come say, oh, you know, I'm I'm the figurehead, whatever. It's a lot of dedicated people there, from yeah. the the farming livestock team to the wildlife park team to the chefs to the front house. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everyone all pitches in. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the thing. And, it, and, and and that's probably what is, you know, power to your elbow, isn't it? It's what makes you successful. And yeah. then what makes people want to come and have a look at what, what you're about and what you've achieved. Yeah. And it's really important to take time and, and look after your staff as well. Mm. And, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean constant pay rises and all that. It's often just a chat and uh, how you're getting mm. on. And because it's easy to pick fault and things. Mm. It's easy to pick fault and things, and sometimes people do need pulling up. But it, mm. what is important is to have an interest in yeah. people's lives and, and and make the place, make the farm somewhere they really want to come to work. Yeah, and it's not just a a, a wage packet; it's much yeah. more than that. You know, and that's yeah, what's yeah. really important. Yeah, definitely. That they they actually enjoy working, and it, yeah, definitely. No, I totally get that. Um, so you made uh your mark on tv quite a number of years ago now how how did that all come about how did you get involved with the yeah team? it's 20 odd years ago that mm. was and it was totally by accident a friend of mine called niall downing 
was a very young director at the time and he was doing a, a, a job for BBC Science and they asked him to make a pilot about a film, uh, a documentary about killer diseases, yeah. parasites and stuff like that. <laughs> and um, Dr. Michael Mosley was the head of development in those days, who's now obviously a presenter himself. Uh, my friend Niall said, I know nothing about this. And I did a mm. bit of medical and veterinary parasitology for my degree. Mm. So he said, you know about malaria and tapeworms? I was like, yeah, 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 fine. I said, what do I do? He said, well, look, I'll give you 50 quid. Or just go around and ask some questions. We've got we've got a jam jar full of roundworms. Mm. We're going to go to the School of London Tropical Medicine, do an experiment, and that's it. Mm. So I went around talking to people about this stuff and didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> uh, but I thought, it's, it's a good laugh. It's a day mm. on London, 50 quid, whatever. Mm. Anyway, he'd sent that to the BBC, and a lady called Jill Phillips-Smith had seen it. Mm-hmm. and she then phoned me up, and she wasn't interested in that show, but she phoned me up and asked me what I was doing. And mm. I said, well, I'm just about to rent this farm in Suffolk, and I'm mm. starting a farm. And she said, oh, would you come in for a, 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 a chat? And I mm. remember Jill Fenton smith and Michael Mosley sitting there in this little room, <laughs> and they said, so what, you, said, what are you doing? I said, well, I read this book by John Seymour, The Complete Guide to Self-Sufficiency, and I'm renting this farm, and I'm going to get some pigs, and I'm going to go to a farmer's market. And I went, oh, right, okay. Mm. And I said, so have you got any farming experience? I went, no. Not at all. I said, well, how are you funding this? I said, well, I've written a diary, a book of the whole thing that's going to happen. And mm. I managed to get a book deal with EP Press. So I've got a bit of money there. It's going to start it. And uh, they thought I was an idiot and thought this would be brilliant <laughs> to watch this, this young person run around doing this stuff, which they did. And um, I remember them filming for the first, they sent a young lad down with a camera. Mm. It was obviously like a you know very a young <laughs> proper trainee. They just sent out. Let's not spend any money on him. Mm-hmm. And um, they filmed for the first months, and I think they got a bit bored because mm-hmm. it was just basically putting in fence posts. And <laughs> and then I had a cowboys and Indian barbecue party to get all my friends over to help clear a lot of the land and tidy it up. And yeah. then I had a load of stuff to burn, and I lit a fire, and I said to my cousin, "Could you just watch that fire?" And she went, yeah, fine. And then she sat there drinking wine and smoking a cigarette and the fire got out of control. And then, <laughs> then it got exciting. So then they carried on filming. And then, then that show went out and they made the four episodes and it, it, it was a, you know, it was a success. And I mm. had no understanding of why or anything. Mm. And then they commissioned more series. I think we did three series on it and yeah, then yeah. a special. And then, and then after that, the BBC said, well, what else would you like to do? What are you interested in? We've got this whole season about Charles Darwin coming up. And that mm-hmm. appealed to me because of, the science yeah. stuff I'd done mm. prior to it. So I did three episodes on Charles Darwin, and that went out as a season with two other different series, different mm. episodes on. Um, and then I got the opportunity to actually film other farmers and yep. let them tell their story. And I did a, a series called Jimmy's Farming Heroes, where we travelled yeah. around the country. And at that time, although there was country file, there was very little on mm. TV about farming unless it was negative because we'd yeah. gone through foot and mouth and BSC and everything was doom just, and gloom. You know, mm. Yeah, nobody wanted to open, you know, the, the doors and blah blah blah. Mm. But I wanted to do a celebration mm. of how amazing it is. And yeah. so we went round and we visited farmers and let them tell the story. And it's really interesting because as you know, often farmers can be very understated. You know, oh it's amazing what you do. Yeah, not bad. Uh, but once you give them the platform and and, they ch- and it's like wow this is yeah. incredible yeah and if you if you tell 
the story uh, and go into the details where they can be quite glib and go, oh, yeah, we just do that, goes in there, and this comes every, out. Yeah, yeah, no, it's every no, day. It no, yeah. Yeah, yeah. incredible. So yeah. then after that, we did various bits of bobs. I was at BBC for nearly nine years, and then I jumped to Channel 4 and I've been there for about 10. Mm. Um, but now I'm, I, I, I do work with everyone now, so be it BBC, ITV, yeah. Channel 4, Discovery. Yeah. Um, and I think actually anywhere you can tell some interesting stories. Definitely. And I mean, what what's next for you then? You're obviously working with the different TV companies and different channels. Have you got, is there something on the horizon? Because I know yeah, you've got so another book coming out. Books are already out, actually. Mm. Um, Tales from Jimmy's Farm. You can get it mm. from all good bookshops. Uh, Amazon, very good these days. They <laughs> deliver straight to your door. So we, uh, Food Unwrapped uh, yeah. is, just rumbles on. That's, I yeah. think, God, I think how many seasons that has been. Uh, it's got to be 20 odd seasons, Food yeah. Unwrapped. Um, and then I've just done a show, which I think is out in October. Mm-hmm. And I had the, the great pleasure of going to New Zealand and traveling the length and breadth of the country, uh, looking at farms and Amazing. food producers in New Zealand, everything from wool producers um, to uh, brewers and distillers and to fish oh, I'm farms. So jealous. Um, <laughs> it's incredible. And yeah. conservation projects going on out there. One farmer went to, and he was a breeder of horses. It was a conventional farm as well. Um, mm. And he had 80 Clydesdale horses mm-hmm. on, on his station. And that's impressive. I'm, mm. I mean, I love heavy horses. We've got, we've got um, supper punches. Mm. But to watch, you know, 30 Clydesdales come rumbling down the hillside <laughs> like a like a, a night's charge, you mm. know, is, um, is amazing. So that's coming out soon. And so that, that was very exciting. Oh, amazing. I'm definitely going to have to put a series link on that to watch that. And I mean, we went on honeymoon to New Zealand and my husband um, has done a tour around as well on a, a separate occasion. It's just we were even looking at farms out there at one point because it's just yeah. it's just beautiful. Um, but it is obviously a long way from home. So. <laughs> well, you just think everywhere you go um, when you're out in the middle of nowhere, you just think you're in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. It's like a, I was expecting a Hobbit to pop up any moment. Yeah, it's a proper <laughs> film set, isn't it? Because it's yeah. so un- unspoiled and the population is so small and, yeah. you know, just very picturesque. But also the scenery is so dramatic, isn't it? And so different depending on which part of the, the country you're in. So, yeah. Completely. Yeah. Completely. Yeah, no, absolutely. Let's just um sort of change um sort of switch a little bit here and just sort of talk a little bit more now about cooking. Um because mm-hmm. obviously you've done a lot of food related programs. Do you enjoy cooking, preparing a meal? Yeah, yeah? I do, very much so. And I see it as a bit of responsibility, obviously for mm. kids and stuff. And I I find it quite relaxing. I'm quite O C D in my life anyway so my books have to be lined up and I yeah. if all the pans aren't straight so it's things like that stress me or when you're having a dinner party and everyone crowds into the kitchen and starts mm. talking to you and, and it's like I just want to get the stuff done but mm. I um <laughs> I do enjoy it I I, I I I you know and I do most of the cooking at home yeah. anyway yeah yeah and do you uh, replicate any of Jamie's recipes no none no. at all <laughs> He hasn't taught you a thing or two then over the years. No, I mean he's he's, he's quite a remarkable natural chef, I think, and yeah. um, you know he's he's very heavy on Italian food, and I yeah. do like Italian food, but I, I I actually prefer a bit of Spanish food actually. Yeah, um, particularly with their game. Uh, I've cooked for him a number of times, and he's always been very polite. <laughs> His series during the lockdowns and things, so that I really got into that. Well, he got again. me to do because he did. He did because we're both in the same boat. So I did a, mm. I did a 
Channel 4 said, oh, my God, what can you make for us uh, on in, during COVID? Mm-hmm. And he had the same phone call, and he basically filmed everything on his phone. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he phoned me up and said, could you do uh, a recipe? So I got my three kids, uh, uh, three of the four kids anyway, because the, mm-hmm. the youngest was a bit too small, and we made a steak and cheese sandwich, propped my phone up on the bookshelf and filmed it for him, which is, yeah. which is brilliant fun. But we did a show in knockdown for Channel 4 as well because no one could do anything. Everyone yeah. said, but luckily, we, because we've got the farm, we could host the TV crew in Winnebago's in the car park mm. and feed them in the restaurant with all social distancing. Mm. And, of course, the animals te- are just endless stories. Yeah, and it yeah. was like, uh, you know, great thing we could do. But, um, yeah, those lockdown series were, were very interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. We're good on you for carrying on, you know, keep calm and carry on, definitely. Um you're obviously quite prominent on social media and obviously on the TV. How can people find out more information and follow you? Um, well, so on Instagram, uh, yeah. it's just Jimmy's Farm. Yeah. And uh, we've got the farm Instagram, which is at Jimmy's Farm HQ, Facebook. Um, and we are we're making our own little film at the moment about some very exciting stuff that's happening in October. Mm-hmm. which I can't really tell you about, but mm-hmm. it's 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 some very interesting animals that we're saving yeah. and bringing to the farm. So watch out for that, and that'll probably be... We'll probably put that on YouTube so everyone could just access it wherever yeah. they are, and that's, a, that's an amazing thing now. But, yeah, social media-wise, just get on the Instagram and have a look. And I've, I've started on threads now, yeah. and, I, and I'm ashamed there's a bit on TikTok. I'm not doing any weird dances. <laughs> but sometimes the whole, the whole social media can get quite draining Yeah, yeah. in terms of... You know, I want to put content out there that people enjoy. So it might be about growing wildflowers to help our pollinators. Um, or it could be just, you know, we're in the Isle of Mull and it's beautiful scenery. But I yeah. often think that with Instagram and stuff, grass is always greener, isn't it, on the other side? Mm. And, and there's definitely this Instagram culture. But I, I like to show stuff that is a bit more real, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm totally with you on that. Because it does take up a lot of headspace as well. And, you know, you've got a lot to kind of on your shoulders haven't you you know you've got four yeah, kids yeah you can't be and, you know, photos no, and no. all the rest of it and yeah. uh but it's um it is interesting one the instagram i find it mm. very useful for following different um organizations and yeah. keeping up to date with stuff i think that's that's really good and also the other thing is it's so clever isn't it all of yeah. a sudden i might just go oh yeah i could really do with a, a new leatherman's or a, a pen knife. and all of a sudden all this mm. stuff comes up you might just say about oh i need a new waterproof jacket and then yeah. all of a sudden the stuff appears it's yeah like, what yeah you know yeah. and they end up buying it <laughs> <laughs> yes it can get a bit dangerous like that can't it? especially when yeah. the adverts sort of haunt you wherever you go and things yeah it's, uh, yeah, yeah crazy yeah yeah no absolutely okay here are some things for you to try at home I've had a message from a listener giving me a recipe for a tasty salad that can be eaten while the weather is still pretty warm. Thank you to Christine Pass for getting in touch. Here is a recipe. Easy summer salad. So you've got 250 grams of canned baby beets and you chop them in half or quartered. Some baby rocket or pak choy sliced, some grated carrots, some feta cheese or crumbled goat's cheese, a few walnuts crushed, chopped parsley and some red onion. Um, and then you can possibly add flake tuna or bacon lardons. And she's suggested a dressing of some olive oil, balsamic vinegar, runny honey and salt and black pepper. I'll put the recipe link in the show notes for this, but it just sounds really delicious. And it complements what I'm just about to talk about, which is in season right now. September time, 
butternut squash, which I grow in my garden, absolutely love, chilies, onions, leeks, beetroot. I've got all of them growing in my kitchen garden and in my greenhouse. It's a bit of a jungle at the moment, but they're all packed full of goodness and grown here in the UK by, by our farmers and our food producers. And most of those things in a recipe that Christine suggested. So yummy. How does that sound, Jimmy? Are you interested? Yeah, amazing. I love it. I love it. I mean, this time of year, when you get towards the end of the summer, yeah, I always think it's wonderful with all the apples and stuff. So, mm. you know, that, and, and we've got various orchards with earlys and lates and, and desserts and, uh, you know, eating apples and all that. kind. Of, I love that. And yeah. I love the variety. And we often forget, you know, you go to the supermarket, all the apples, you tend to see three or four different varieties. But mm. you go to the National Apple Collection in Kent, I think you can have a different apple every day and still be there for four years yeah yeah which is mad isn't yeah. it yeah the variety is incredible yeah. so i do love apples and then the apple crumbles and the apple pies mm. you know stewed apples and uh just it's lovely yeah well funny enough my family's heritage uh is an apple breeding so my great 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 grandfather bred different varieties for the um for the rhs so wow. my dad is actually trying to save some of the varieties because a lot of them are obviously lost in hedgerows and one thing and another um so in our we've got a little orchard at the back of the farm we've got a few of the varieties and he's got a massive allotment um full of little apple trees with his spalliers sort of trying to grow them and and keep them alive so yeah, yeah i love that that's amazing yeah. I, yeah. I love it when i'm on the on the motorway either in springtime or mm. you know this time of year and and we play spots spot the apples uh, <laughs> and as you're driving along you see apple trees everywhere yeah and and you can see it in the spring with the blossom and or you can see it uh, you know at the beginning of autumn in particular as you go into autumn but some of the apples are still on there yeah you see all the apples still on the trees you go there's another apple tree there's another <laughs> apple tree you know and i'm thinking have they been planted or is that where someone's just thrown an apple core out and yeah, they've just grown yeah i'm gonna have to do that with the kids now when we go on the long journey spot the apple tree <laughs> yeah completely Okay, that's all we've got time for today. Um, don't forget to tune into the next episode of the Countryside Kitchen Meets, which is on the first of each month, and you can subscribe on all major podcast streaming platforms and get in touch. You can send me a voice note on WhatsApp like Ellie did last month or an email like Christine did this month. And how about sponsoring a future episode? Um, this actually costs me a little bit to put together. I absolutely love doing it, but I have quite quite a following now and it would be fantastic to work with some sponsors on this uh want to chat to me share some recipes drop me an email hello at millie5.com thank you jimmy so much for coming on the Not podcast today. <laughs> um no it's been wonderful i've learned so much and i know that a lot of the listeners will have done too because there's so many different things to you um and we'll continue to watch your journey with excitement well thank you very much for having me on all right. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.